Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. It's good to be here and uh, across the world today, despite all the challenges uh, that we're facing, millions of people uh, like you and I are joining together and uh, finding the Lord. And, uh, you know, the, the, the lie to us in these days is that somehow the church is dying out. Um, but I want to tell you, I was just listening to something just this past week, that God in Jesus Christ is still building his church in an amazing way. There's some shifts which we have to recognize. And uh, what we call the sub-Sahara church is the church that is particularly thriving in these times. But God is doing uh, amazing amazing things because the risen Jesus is still impacting people and making a difference and our theme for today is hope and uh, thank you to Naomi for doing this uh, beautiful decoration behind me and little things around the church uh, that have just made it a welcoming place uh, today and uh, so we, we give you thanks as Jonathan said if it's your first time with us a particularly warm welcome on uh, Friday we celebrated or rather remembered and reflected Good Friday. Uh, Helen brought those words to us in the breaking of bread online and it was uh, very pertinent to do that. Uh, Yesterday we had the great book giveaway and just to say that if you weren't able to come yesterday morning there are some books there. We've just done a series on the presence of God and there's a book there by David Sherman, our first Tuesday speaker in a few weeks Please take it. It's a free copy. We're sorry we can't hand it to you personally. And uh, I think also uh, there's a few Easter eggs left. So if you're a little one today and you've come to church with your mum and dad or your grandma and granddad, please make sure you pick up an Easter egg on the way out as well. That's a little bonus for you for coming. And uh, one day we're looking forward to kids' church being on as usual. So thanks everybody, and we're going to come to the Word for a little time this morning. And uh, the title of the uh, message, and if again if you're new, we try and just help you follow the message through, and, and Chad will help me at the back, just put some headings up, just to keep us on track. But the title of the message this morning is Easter Truth. Easter Truth. I hope this will hopefully make sense over the next 25 minutes or so, as we try and... Uh, embed again in every one of our hearts that what we're talking about is not a fairy tale, it's not a fantasy, it's not a figment of our imagination. Uh, We have people here today that are thinking people that have worked all this through. We've come to an amazing, absolute convinced position that when we read that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, rose on the third day, it really, really did happen. And that miracle can be your miracle today and take you forward in an amazing journey of following the Lord. Now, in more normal times, uh, this particular statement which is going to come up would be echoing around the church. It's a confession of the church in these days. And it says this, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And... uh, You know, I don't want to break the rules by inviting you to shout it out with me this morning. But in our hearts, that's what resounds. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Which takes us to our verse for this morning. And Resurrection Sunday verse. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And he says, Praise to the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You heard that the password to this morning was thank you, praise. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Hope is here through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me just read that one last time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I love the content of this verse, but I also love the context of the verse because it's found in the first book of Peter, right near the end of the second part of the Bible, which we call the New Testament. And Peter was an apostolic leader in the New Testament church, and the Spirit of God came upon him to write two letters and if you read the beginning of the book, you'll find that he's reading them to people that are described as scattered, exiles, pilgrims, strangers. Why was this? Well, it's what we know as the diaspora, the scattered. And in that first century, because people had responded to Jesus Christ and believed that God had raised him on the third day and had given over their lives to him and confessed him as Lord, many were persecuted People were even routed from their homes. They were moved geographically. They had to find other places to live. The scattered of God, the exiles of God, the strangers to this world, not strange odd, but simply strange because uh, that people were, were, were taking away what were their liberties, the diaspora. So not only the incredible content of the verse, but the context, it was a tough tough time to be a believer and here we are who would have thought that last Easter we would have still been navigating COVID-19 this Easter it just seemed ridiculous we were thinking perhaps mid-June it would all be behind us and it's gone on and on and on and on and uh, it seems as though you know there's caveats to where we're going going forward but we'll leave that to other people in another time it's been a tough time even the most resilient of us have on occasions found it tough in this season the nights when it's pitch black until half past eight in the morning and pitch black again at four o'clock at night can seem incredibly long thankful for this beautiful day thank thankful that spring is in the air Thankful that the daffodils are blooming. Thankful that it's around about quarter to eight now where we get light. It's all helping. But it's not been easy. It's not been easy to maintain Christian community and Christian ministry and have a sense of what God is doing amongst us. Again, we're thankful for all the connections that we've been able to make uh, through online but there's been challenges and we're so thankful as Jonathan mentioned for your amazingly faithful giving that's allowed the church to continue to function but not only to function but to go and grow and to love and serve its world even in this uh, past week or so through our connections with the Nottingham campus Jonathan and Annie have been able to bless two infant schools right down there where the Nottingham campus is in inner city Nottingham. Over 700 kids blessed with an Easter gift. It's because we've continued to engage in ministry. 
But if it's been tough for you, then don't be apologetic for that. Recognize that that's just been par for the course. But as it was for our first century believer friends, who for some of them life was literally on the line for the faith, God comes with his word and brings afresh today a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we want everybody to leave the service today letting that shine through in us. If you have never come to faith, what a day to begin a relationship with God in Jesus Christ and become a follower. Easter Sunday, you're not going to forget that. The day that you found the Lord. And those of us that are in faith, let us be encouraged again that the living Jesus in the power of his spirit is here to take us forward in purpose and intention for a great future that lies in front of us. I thought that we navigated Friday beautifully and everybody that contributed did such a great job. And Friday brings us to Sunday. And uh, I've said to people in the past, young pastors, don't get ahead of yourself. You've got to do Friday. You've got to do it well. You've got to do it appropriately. Cross brings us to glory. And metaphorically, it's the same that it may be that COVID has been something of a Friday for us. But Sunday's coming. And uh, Sunday's well uh, worth looking forward to. And those shifts and changes that God has got for us because he's alive. Easter, truth. You will note that when anybody speaks in Arena Church, be it live or online, they reference the Bible. I still like to bring a literal Bible onto the platform. I know people are on screens and use, but I still like to bring my Bible onto the platform. I bring this big one because it saves me keep having to put these on. But, um, but um, a Bible, the Word of God, and we're going to reference the Bible today. We deliberately minister from the Bible, not, not our words, but, but drawing on the words of God to encourage us to bring a message to you. And today we understand the peripherals of Easter. Chocolates, Easter eggs, flowers, Easter bunnies, the spring air, we get all of that. But none of that is core to the message. The message is about the resurrection of Jesus in fact, the resurrection is the hinge point of the Christian faith. In other parts of the Bible, which we don't have time to look at this morning, a writer says that if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, actually our faith is worthless and in vain and a complete waste of time and none of us want to do that. Because he is risen from the dead, we have got a, a great faith in God through Jesus. It's the very pivot, the very hinge point which our faith hangs upon. Now, of course, people have set out to discredit the resurrection, and I'll come to this in a, in a few moments. And uh, they've recognized that if they can undermine the truth of the resurrection, then it justifies their stance. And of course, this truth has being contested for. But my encouragement to us today, friends, is that we can stand four square on the Easter truth that Jesus Christ is risen and he's a hope through the new birth given to us 
through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what a battleground truth is in our 21st century living. And to some degree, nothing has changed because if you read the Easter story in the scriptures of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, you'll find there was a Roman governor in the middle of that story, Pontius Pilate, and uh, he had Jesus brought before him. And if I read the text carefully, I think deep down he wanted to let Jesus go. Uh, but the crowd was saying, crucify him. And of course, you'll know that he washed his hands of the decision. And we still use that phrase today. You know, well, he's washed his hands a bit. He don't want anything to do with it. Uh, but he said to Jesus, what is truth? Good question. And wow, what a question for the society in which we live. There's a thought of opinion called relativism. Relativism is very deep and strong in our modern, particularly Western culture, and it's a denial of absolute truths. One great prophet of another age said about the Bible, it's either absolute or obsolete. And the fact is that we believe in absolutes. It gives strength to our faith. But relativism wants to totally undermine any sense of absolute. In fact, people that take a strong stance in this area, they seem to be certain of only one thing, that they're not certain of anything. So everything's questioned, everything's in the mix, everything's undermined. You cannot say to me this, you cannot say to me that. Relativism. And then what about fake truth or fake news? Uh, this, this has gone crazy in the age of social media. And conspiracy theories have abounded in the last 12 months. And you're going to have to navigate that well. That you don't take on board stuff that is unhelpful to your life and to your faith. And then, of course, more recently, we've got my truth. And my truth becomes the truth. And uh, we, we see again that it brings people to be doing what is written about in a book in the Old Testament, the very last verse of the book of Judges, where it says everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now that seems okay, but it's dangerous. You see, the last time I went out of Arena Church to try and cross the road to go to Tesco for my sandwich, if it said the lights were on green, it meant the cars were going to keep coming. And for me to deny that and say, well, actually, I don't recognize that absolute truth. I'm a relativist. And so it means I can walk across the road whenever I feel like it and the cars are going to stop. Now, you know in Ilkeston, the cars aren't going to stop if the lights are on green. And, uh, and uh, so, and Sharon's told me off because on occasions, you know, I've, when she's been with me, I've, I've, I've second-guessed the traffic lights. Um, but the reality is there's an absolute there. And if I deny the absolute, I'm going to endanger my life. When the lights turn to red, he's telling the vehicles to stop and I can cross in safety. I use it as a rather simple and even silly illustration. Suffice to say that all over the earth today, there are people in their decision-making 
of denying truth that are crashing through red lights and wondering why they are bringing damage to their world. And when I say their world, particularly their inner world that then works out in their outer world. God has given us some absolutes. They're there not to contain us, but to liberate us, to free us, to cause us to be what he has intended us to be. Now the Bible, if we can put that side up chat about the word of God, let me just talk for a moment or two about the Bible. You see, the Bible is not just a book. It's not just, oh yeah, it's on a par with the works of Shakespeare. Or it's like a good thriller. There, there are some thrilling parts to the Bible. The Bible is God's breathed word. He says that all scripture, all of the Bible is inspired of God. Now the, the teaching of inspiration is not for this morning. I'm just asking you to take it in good faith on heart. God has breathed on his word. As someone says, it is his story. The history of God unfolding his purpose into the earth. 66 books in two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, around about 36 writers, men and women, that the Holy Spirit got hold of in their personality, in their gift, in their education, in their background, and breathed upon them to bring over around about a 1,600-year period the Word of God. The Bible is not about self-help. It's about God help. When the shops open again in Nottingham and Derby, you can go to Waterstones, and if you go to the self-help rack, it's huge. It's, it's, it's floor to ceiling, self-help. How to do this, how to build a business in five minutes, how to achieve, how to overcome, all self, me, 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 me. But me has fallen, me has come short of the glory of God, me is frailed, me is messed up. I need help. I need God. And the Bible tells me how to get it. The Bible is not a textbook. It's not just for academia. This is the beauty of the Bible. We can have people in church today steeped in academic learning, sat alongside somebody that's never even got a GCSE, but God comes to reveal himself to both people and change them forever. The Bible is not about uh, is not a it's not about religion, it's about relationship and we thank God uh, for that and we bless him for his goodness and his grace. We're not into being religious. Religion's creating a ladder and there's always another rung to climb to prove you're good enough. God says you're not good enough, but I'm going to send one who is good enough. And he'll make you good enough. That's the good news of the gospel. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm going to say something now. You say, well, you would say that. You're a preacher. But let me just say it anyway. I think we under-egg what is taking place when preaching happens in the church. Because if the preacher's well-prepared and listen to God and prepared well, there is something in that moment that is declaring God's word over all of our lives, and it creates faith. 
Something wells up within us that gets us ready for the week ahead of us. That's why we're possible, whether we do it through online or live, we need regularly to bring ourselves under the Word of God. Now, it may be that this morning you say, I'm still not convinced, Phil. It may be that you're cynical, you're skeptical. It may be that you're on a journey of desperately wanting to get to know God, but somehow you can't get there. And I really want to encourage you not to hide at a distance behind your whys or your buts. When we were in the ministry school last year, uh, one of the guys in the school is very gifted in sharing his faith with non-believers. And he's got numbers of contexts, both in his business and his sporting world, that do that. And he was almost like, at times, he was the unbeliever in the room, and we needed him. Uh, because he was bringing the whys and buts of his mates um, that he'd had conversations with. And I understand that. But in all of that, there's a step of faith into what God has said. And hear me, in our journey in Arena Church, we recognise there are tough parts in the Bible. We recognise that there are things that we have to grow in our understanding of in faith. We recognise there's a development of our reading. We're not telling new Christians to start their devotions in Ezekiel. You know, not because there's anything wrong with Ezekiel, but you'll be spinning because literally there's, there's illustrations of spinning wheels. It's a prophet talking. We say start with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the words and works of Jesus. So we get all that. We're not afraid of the tough questions and the appropriate context to try and work them through. But here is the truth. It was embodied in Jesus Christ, who's described as the word and the truth. And we encourage people to step into that, to go on a journey. And increasingly, you will find that the Bible really does minister to your life and shape you like no other book. Now briefly, very briefly, in the last part of the message, I want to just give four things that undermine Easter truth. Number one, it's a distinguishing truth. Why? Because of its remarkable claims regarding Jesus, the Son of God, the head of the church, no longer dead, but alive and alive forevermore. Matthew 28, 6, he is risen. This distinguishing truth rises above every religion, contemporary or otherwise, above every uh, cultism, above, above every occultism, above communism, above consumerism, above utopianism, whatever ism you want to come out with that people say is the answer, the resurrection of Jesus is above and beyond all of them. It brings new births. It causes us to... Use that phrase to be born again of God's spirit. Not outwardly, but inwardly. Where we're dead, it makes us alive. And God, by his spirit, he's making people alive by the tens of thousands, even in the earth today on Easter Sunday. It is not a faith, it is the faith 
on the grounds of the resurrection. And then secondly, it's a convincing truth. It talks about the living hope, a convincing truth. And someone said that hope is a confident assurance in the unseen and the future. G.K. Chesterton, a writer and religious observer of another time, says, hope means hoping when things seem hopeless or it has no virtue at all. And for the Christian believer, it's not this or, or... It's a confident expectation and assurance that wells up within us that Sunday's coming, that it's going to be okay, that God's going to deal with it. And we have stories across arena over the years where God has brought people to their living hope. Now, let me use an illustration of a guy called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a high-powered American investigative journalist. And he worked for many years for one of the most respected newspapers in the whole of North America, the Chicago Tribune. He was an avowed atheist. He didn't do God. But one day, uh, in his maturity, his, his wife became a Christian, and he could not deny that there'd been a change in his wife. And he was completely ticked off. He was irritated. Uh, he, 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 he wanted to get to a place where he would get under her skin and uh, bring uh, an opposition to this newfound faith. So he thought that he would use his investigative skills. And he set out for the next two years to work so hard to debunk the resurrection. He was savvy enough to realize that if he could come to his wife and get all of his evidence together and debunk the resurrection, that it would destroy her faith. And it would make him feel good in being an atheist, and that's what he did. And for two years, he poured over not only Bible documents, but also historical accounts from non-believers at the time of Jesus, and he found what he described as historical gold. And he read, and he read, and he read, and he read, until he could not deny the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he accounts, and you can read about it on YouTube if you just go Lee Strobel Resurrection, it'll take you there. It's a great testimony. He accounts that one night he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He surrendered to the claims of the living Jesus over him because he could not deny any longer, despite all of his attempts, the truth of the resurrection. As he found out, as someone else says, facts are stubborn things. A hard-nosed journalist melted by the love of the living Lord and he said this he says on the night I became a Christian there wasn't a rush of emotion there was a rush of reason maybe that's how God needed to deal with this guy he wasn't blubbering he wasn't crying he wasn't flat on his face he didn't shake all over some people do they feel it emotionally he didn't but this rush of reason hit him that he knew without a shadow of doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ was his living home. It's a convincing truth. Thirdly, it's an unending truth. It's an unending truth. Because if you go to the last part of 1 Peter 1, where our text is found, you'll find this. It says that the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word 
that is preached unto you. The word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that is preached to you. I mean, this is a phrase that we get nowadays. Come on, Phil. We're in the 21st century. And? As though somehow the 21st century has made the Bible irrelevant. It's never more relevant. It's never more applicable to our modern age. It's not going away. Of course, there are people that have burned it. They've, they've, uh, they've uh, uh, banished it, even eliminated it from uh, in, in certain atheistic nations. You can't have a Bible. Uh, people have sought to belittle it and still do. And you can find all of that. People have tried to ban the Bible from being in civilization. And it's overcome all of these obstacles because it's an enduring word. Listen to this story. The French philosopher Voltaire, known for his criticism of Christianity, once said, a hundred years from my death, and he died in 1778, the Bible will be a museum piece. In the irony of things, and according to the humour of God, a hundred years after Voltaire died, the French Bible Society uh, uh, took over his former house and made it their headquarters in Paris. I think God was just saying something. You can say all you like, this Bible is going to carry on forever. I say to young people today, let the Bible stories wash over you. I say to teenagers today, get uh, an appropriate translation that helps you read and apply the Bible into your world. I say to parents and mums and dads and families, let the word keep enduring in your life because it still works. It's not out of fashion. It's not going anywhere. It ministers to us. And fourthly, it's an empowering truth. And we go to the second book of Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. I've had people say to me, Phil, it's no good me becoming a Christian. I couldn't keep it up. You bet you couldn't. It's totally impossible to keep this up in our own efforts. That's religion. But relationship says that when you let the risen Jesus in the power of his spirit come to live in your life and you experience new birth and are born again of his spirit, Everything that you need is given to you to live a godly life. It's a process, there's a development, there's growing into it. But everything that we need to live in the power of a godly life has been given, into, given to us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's my final illustration. Someone asked this, and it was found in... Uh, uh, an apologetic book, Know What You Believe by Paul Little. And he posed this question. What was it that changed a band of frightened, cowardly disciples into men of courage and conviction? What was it that changed Peter from the one who the night before the crucifixion was so afraid for his own skin that three times he denied even knowing Jesus? What was it that taught that changed him into a roaring lion for the faith. And some 50 days later, Peter risked his life by saying he had seen Jesus raised from the dead. He preached it in Jerusalem along with the other apostles where events had taken place, where the facts could be verified. 
and where his life was still in danger. Only the bodily resurrection of Jesus could have produced such a change. And then Canon Westcott, who for many years taught aspiring ministers at Cambridge, said this, Indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Easter truth. I say today that if you've never become a, a believer, you're there skeptically, cynically trying to work it through. Make that step today. Step into the start of the journey and let God deal with the questions as you answer the question, where do I stand before him? And those of us that are believers that have had to navigate this incredibly tough year, maybe sometimes we felt like the scattered and the exiles of the first century. Maybe at times we've had to deal with the head games Maybe at times we've had to rise in fresh resiliency and ask the question, when's all this going to end? I want you to go afresh today with Easter truth deep in your heart. A distinguishing truth. A convincing truth. An empowering truth. And an unending truth. You see, the theology of the resurrection ended up with a doxology of praise. Our verse again, the first part. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, not a truth, not fake truth, not your truth, but the truth. And the Easter truth is simply this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray.